This is Brian Sears, government reporter for The Daily Record. You're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties and policy-obsessed reporters who are on late-night baby duty. Is it wrong I make the boys listen? Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here today with Michael Sanderson and we have with us Brianna January on the Mako Policy Team. Covers a, a number of issues in her portfolio. Among them is school construction and capital projects. And today, Brianna is with us because we are going to talk about the Capital Debt Affordability Committee, why its recommendations serve as clues to the governor's proposed budget. That's because right now we are looking for any and every clue that we can get. And just as a reminder, uh, we do have a new governor coming in by the time the General Assembly meets. We'll have a new governor-elect. However, as a reminder, the next budget is Governor Hogan's budget. The new governor won't be sworn in until mid-January. And we will link uh, to a previous episode where we we talked about that a little bit more. But Brianna, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being with us today and help us sort out CDAC and, and why its recommendations are so important. Yeah, exciting stuff happening this time of year. Glad to be on the chat. Yes. And and Michael, I know this is an exciting time for you as the fiscal picture starts to unravel even more. We've seen some of the revenue estimates, but now we're going to get into CDAC and then later on spending affordability. This is right up your alley, too. Yeah, definitely. I like this stuff anyway. And if you're in this game, if you're a stakeholder in state and local fiscal policy, then this is the time of year that the picture starts to take shape. So the episode we did a couple of weeks ago talking about the economy and revenue trends and so forth and how they're puzzling, basically, I think that tees it up for, okay, we're going to see some breadcrumbs on the way toward a clearer picture. And they start literally next week with with some of the guiding committees that, that end up doing early work in advance of the legislative session and the budget considerations. So that's where we are. Yeah, so certainly timely. And Brianna, let's kick it off with the Capital Debt Affordability Committee, or as we like to call it, CDAC. Please tell us what CDAC is and, and let's get into to what they do, why it's important, and some of the stuff that they're going to look at. Sure, yeah. Well, CDAC is mostly a technical guiding body um, I like to think of it as basically a small committee with a big impact. It's it's charged, for example, with reviewing the size and condition of state debt. Um, so a really big role. And one of its most important jobs as such is really making recommendations to both the governor and the General Assembly on the amount of new state debt that is healthy for our next upcoming fiscal year. Um, I'll also add that although CDAC's estimates are technically advisory only, and there are no obligations linked to them, um, the governor is required to give due consideration to CDAC's findings um, in determining the total authorizations of new state debt for the upcoming fiscal year. So really important stuff. Uh, it, it is important stuff. And I guess maybe there's some context for our listeners, particularly if we've got listeners who are more familiar with talk about the federal budget. And you know, the United States government tends to run a budget deficit, you know, basically does deficit spending every year. And the idea of the national debt is its own political and policy conversation. But at the state level, we're talking about something different. This idea of state debt 
and we're going to make mentions of things like general obligation bonds. What we're talking about is the state uses a capital budget. And when we want to do something like let's build a new uh, building on the University of Maryland campus in College Park, uh, the state will basically say the way to pay for big capital facilities and long-term investments like that is usually by going to the bond market, borrowing money from bondholders, and then paying them back over time with interest. So that's that's what we're talking about here with state debt affordability and this whole capital debt you know, matter is all about the state uses borrowing as an instrument to pay for long-term things over a stretch of time. We we got into some of that political philosophy in an episode we did, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago, and those are good times. But in any event, that's that's an abbreviated version of what we're getting into here. This isn't the state running a deficit and borrowing to cover it. Rather, it's tactically paying for things over the long haul. Right. And and Michael, I think it's the opposite, right? Maryland is a very, very healthy state when it comes to fiscal matters, AAA bond ratings. And so when the state does sell bonds and they go out for bonds, these are these are very, very good returns, right? People can trust that, you know, these bonds are going to be fulfilled and that they're going to get their money back over time. So this is this is good government practice, right? Like what this does, CDAC and then later spending affordability. Like, I think that's a lot of the reason why Maryland has a AAA bond rating. And I mean, don't you think that these these technical steps, these advisory committees play a part in that? And when the, the bond houses look at Maryland, and they look at our fiscal picture and our ability to to pay these bonds back, that that, that does play in to to our AAA rating. And it's it's been that way for a very long time. I think Maryland is one of the states that has had the longest consecutive AAA bond rating. Maryland is considered to be a low risk place to invest your money and that places like Standard and Poor's and Moody's and Fitch, these companies who are giving advice to investors, generally speaking, they look at a place like Maryland and say they've got a good deal of fiscal capacity and a lot of things that they can harness to make sure that bondholders are satisfied. But at the same time, they also do look at fiscal practices and I think it's a reasonable thing that if, if you're an analyst looking at the way Maryland conducts business, the idea that there are groups like this of professionals and experts and staff who convene in the fall to lay the groundwork for the work that's going to get done by the legislators in the, in, you know, in the legislative session in the early part of next year, that they get some guideposts like this. I think that is, mm-hmm. that is probably one of those things that underpins. Yeah. Maryland is a credit worthy state. And that means we pay lower interest on our carrying costs of, of, of floating bonds, because if it's low risk, you don't have to reward people with as high of a return as other states that are maybe more reckless or cavalier. Right. And so as to CDAC, back to CDAC, to the membership. So CDAC is the state treasurer who is the chair. Also, the comptroller, the secretaries of the Department of Budget Management, DBM, the Department of Transportation, and then you have one public mem- member appointed by the governor. They also have non-voting members, and those are the chairs of the Capital Budget Subcommittees of the Senate Budget and Taxation Committee and the House Appropriations Committee. Now, a few weeks back, and Michael mentioned, I think, on a previous episode, but this is a, a more recent one, we did talk about Maryland's economy, how strange it is. We'll include a link there in the show notes so you can listen to that. But I think with these upcoming CDAC meetings, we will learn and see a lot more about what the fiscal leaders are thinking and how they're going to look at those revenue projections and how that plays into the situation moving forward. 
But Brianna, when it comes to CDAC, what sort of reports are they likely looking at? Um, are they likely going to get in front of them to make their recommendations? Let's let's just walk through some of the stuff that they look at before they actually come out with their their actual recommendations around, you know, mid-October toward the end of October. Sure. And but Kevin, before we hop into those details, you know, you did mention that the treasurer sits on CDAC, right? And so listeners should be reminded though that Treasurer Derek Davis was not um, in his his treasurer role at this time last year when CDAC last met. So he was appointed and installed back last December, um, long after the CDAC process was over, right? So he will play a role this year starting at next week's meeting on the 11th. Um, So something to keep an eye out for, a new role for him and also new opinions and new interests on CDAC. And so I'm particularly interested to see what, what he'll say and what his thinking is, especially um, with our current national and, and state economy and some of the uncertainty there that we've already talked about. That's a good point. That's a very good point. But but getting into um, some of the things that CDAC will look at, um, especially in this first meeting next week, they're, they're going to look at the status of affordability ratios. They're going to get a lot of different reports from DLS and other um, bodies that will have data and information about last year's spending. Um, they're also going to look at any relevant actions that last year's 2022 General Assembly took that could be um, related to spending and debt capacity. Of course, they're going to look at general fund estimates and where this last year's assessments and revenue estimates um, are. You know, we know that we have a decent reserve right now um, that was just released a few weeks ago. And so they're going to be looking at that and what that means when it comes to um, how we should spend and if it's healthy to to take on more debt potentially because we do have that surplus right now. They're also going to look at the state of Maryland capital program. Um, so all capital projects and, and part of that, of course, a topic dear to me and I'm sure many of our listeners, public school construction needs and how how the state can help bolster those. So a wide variety there, Kevin. Right. And this this body you know, at this time of year is looking at a lot of those moving parts and big fiscal indicators. And I guess, you know, some of our listeners, like you know, we we know that there are a wide stripe of folks who who listen to this podcast looking for you know sort of state and local policy and discussion about things like these fiscal issues and so forth. But I mean if you're strictly a county person and you're listening to the county podcast. Uh, you might be thinking, well, why, why do I want to listen? Why would I want to keep listening? If this is just going to be, you know, half hour of talking about whether the state's going to borrow money to build something at the University of Maryland, this might be none of my business. Oh, fair you, question, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you did get into part of it because school construction is a major part of the state government's fiscal commitment, and they are driving players in the statewide school construction effort. So, uh, you know, the, the school systems and the counties are partners in that, and there's sort of a you know a funding split on how to do specific projects and so forth. But the state shows up and commits a, a good deal of its general obligation resources. General borrowing goes to support the school construction program. So those are really important facilities at the local level within the school systems. I mean, they're really the operators of, of school buildings, but. That affects county governments in lots of ways, too. We're very deeply invested in the educational offerings back in our communities and also in the infrastructure needs that are around new facilities and all that kind of stuff. So I think that stuff matters. But all of this has spillover effect on stakeholders in state and, you know, this 
sort of state level fiscal decision making. So the nature of what this year's budget at the capital level and then eventually at the operating level, like we're all on this train. So that's why we take this stuff seriously, because you know the nature of the budget, whether it's a, a really tight year budget or whether it's a, you know, a, a more flexibility kind of year, um, those are big deals to those of us who are stakeholders in things that are that are funded and supported through the state budget. Yes. And again, you know, once CDAC comes out with its recommendations, as you said, Michael, it's an indication for everyone of what kind of budget we're going to be looking at. Most likely, are we going to be tightening the belt or are we going to be able to to spend and float more bonds, things like that? And Brianna, the, the committee, as we know, it has self-imposed affordability criteria, um, such as the state tax supported debt um, that's outstanding should be no more than 4% of the state's personal income. And then debt service on state tax supported debt should require no more than 8% of revenues, right? And so those are kind of wonky, but, but let's try to break that down and talk about where we are, where we were last year, and then where we are now in terms of like, are we close to getting there? W- what are you seeing in terms of what they did last year, where they were, and then where they might be this year? Yeah, sure. Well, like Michael said, we're we're all on this train and I'll add to that the train has left the station, right? <laughs> so, last year ahead of CDEX meetings, we were pretty comfortably below both of those limits that you just talked about, Kevin. Um we were at about 7.1% of the 8% of revenues limit and about uh 3.3% of the 4% of income limit. So, Things have changed some, obviously, over the last year, um, but it would be a real surprise to see next week that we're somehow right up against those limits after having um, what are decent cushions, really. Nothing has changed that dramatically over the last year. Right. And and like those are the sorts of things having like you place a pin and you, you say these are guidelines that we follow year to year to try and assess affordability. Like that's the kind of stuff that Standard and Poor's gets you know warm, tingly feeling when they see that a state like Maryland has said, here's what we judge to be reasonable and affordable. And you pin it to something like total personal income. That's not a bad proxy for how much is out there that in theory, you could tax if you needed to in order to make sure you make it good on your bonds, right? So, you know, and the idea of the, like, the satisfying of the bonds and paying debt service on your borrowing, how big of a chunk of your annual budget or of your annual revenues are being dedicated to that purpose, that also... I don't know. I think I think it passes a, a common sense smell test that those are reasonable fingers in the breeze for have we overextended our borrowing? And you look at it in those couple of measures. So, I mean, I think I think those measures make some sense. I I, I will note that the presence of those two measures, um, particularly the one dealing with um, with tax supported debt being on that threshold of, of personal income. This gets a little bit nerdy, but I still find it interesting and amusing. Um, the state not too long ago wanted to do like we called it like supercharged school construction that built to learn act from just a couple of years ago was basically leveraging money out of the education trust fund and forwarding into let's, let's like rapidly fund a whole bunch of public school projects. Let's sort of clear the deck out of projects that are ready to go, but we haven't had enough, money to spend. You look into the details of that program, and that's all supported by casino revenue as opposed to taxes. So nominally, those are not part of the tax-supported debt obligation because the state has not said, we will do income taxes and property taxes and sales taxes or whatever it takes 
to satisfy those debts, they've basically said these bonds be off by more common from the casinos and from those activities. So it's you know it's splitting the baby a little bit differently. But um, a little side note for uh, part of the class who wants to stay around for extra credit, the Apple polishers, they love this stuff. Right, but but that is clever, right? And that does play a big impact in terms of spending affordability and and capital projects, right? Like doing something like that, tying it to casino revenues, it gives them a lot more cushion in other areas, right? And so that was pretty clever. And I think it, it keeps it from encompassing a lot of what CDAC has to look at in terms of limits and whatnot. Because if you if you had to consider that as part of what they're looking at now, if if that supercharged school construction was was part of this, right? Like that would really make things difficult. So I think that was pretty clever, Michael, in terms of um, looking for other ways and, and looking for ways around actually incorporating this into the stuff that they need to look at. And again, occupying a big chunk of, of you know, the capacity of the state. So tying it to casino revenues, pretty smart in my mind. And maybe we'll see something like that for cannabis revenue, right? Like that's something I that was just going to say be... the same, Kevin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, that, yeah. So, so I think, you know, we need to start thinking about that as well. There are ways that you could you could dedicate that revenue. And of course, local governments are going to have something to say about that if it does pass on the ballot and the General Assembly is going to have to um, produce a bill that will implement adult use cannabis. But I think these are the kind of things that require some out of the box thinking to make everything work in the state's general fiscal picture. So I do think that was pretty clever to pull that lever. Yeah, I mean, there are there are pros and cons of making that policy decision. So in general, I mean, I mean, just think of this as like ABCs of investors from from their point of view. If you're thinking about investing your money in a Maryland bond, the the surest of all circumstances is when the state of Maryland pledges its full faith and credit. That's the term of art in the sort of municipal finance world. They pledge our general obligation debt says we will do, we will move heaven and earth to make sure that bondholders get back their capital and their interest when they've invested in Maryland bonds. And we pledge our full faith and credit to make good on that. That's the general obligation bond. If all you're getting is an assurance that, well, there's a stream of money that comes from this one particular source, and we're pledging that that's the money we'll use to satisfy your investment, that maybe sounds a little less secure to me as an investor. And so I might say, I'm willing to invest, but I want a higher return because that doesn't sound quite as stable as your full faith and credit. So generally speaking, a targeted revenue bond that's pinned to a particular income source, but not to everything out there, ends up meaning you pay a higher rate of interest to, to carry those costs. So there are, there are trade-offs involved in these things as a policy matter. Um, again, the, you know, the nerds love this stuff. Other folks are like, maybe I got something better to do. Yeah. And I think an example, we just saw that play out, right? With COVID, the casinos had to shut down, right? So that revenue wasn't coming in. So I'm sure some of these people that that held these bonds were a little bit nervous, but overall, I think it's going to work out. But yeah, I agree with you. you you'd much rather have full faith and credit and, and, and not tie it to a particular stream of income, even though casinos do seem relatively safe and, and their numbers have been good coming out of the pandemic. But I do think that's an example of where things can go sideways and all of a sudden, that revenue source could fall short. And then, you, you know, that's why you, you are getting a higher return there. So that, that does make sense. Michael, geo bonds are the king. Full faith and credit is the king. But that's a policy decision moving forward with a, a new revenue source, maybe like cannabis, that I think is, is part of the conversation. And those are all things that will have to be considered when they, when they figure out how to do that. Again, assuming that it does pass uh, on the ballot. 
Right. But those those sideshow conversations are not what's happening over the next few weeks with CDAC. So sort of getting our conversation. I'm the one who steered us off the trail a little bit. So let's try and get back a little bit. We got the first meeting of the Capital Debt Affordability Committee next week. They go through their analysis and process in the weeks ahead. And they're talking about our capacity to float general obligation bonds. And generally, this is like, what's the health of our fiscal circumstance and of our budget and and what are patterns of borrowing? What what have they brought us to with those measures and other things in mind? That's where we're we're focusing now. Right. And Brianna, when that final report does eventually come out and it will include recommendations and limits, let, let's talk about and look back. What have they been doing, particularly last year? Um, what have things looked like? And maybe that's an indication for what's to come. Yeah. So like Michael just indicated, you know, the first meeting will really be a look back at where we were and where we are. And then eventually we're going to look ahead. Right. Um, so eventually we will get a series of recommendations from CDAC. Uh, last year, the committee approved a total of about $900 million for new general obligation authorizations for the 2022 General Assembly to support uh, fiscal year 2023 capital programs. And so whether we land around the same number this year is to be determined, but we were just under a billion mark last year. Right. And I, and I know that part of this conversation, I mean, there has to be concerns about construction inflation. I mean, we're talking about capital projects and with inflation the way it is, that particularly I think does have an impact on construction costs. And so I'm inflation and see... our supply chain, right, Kevin? We had so Absolutely. many issues just a few months ago with the supply chain as well. Absolutely. And and still, like there are still issues and, and that can make things more expensive. And particularly with inflation, uh, things are more expensive. So I think you're going to have to incorporate some of that. CDAC will uh, and, and, and take that into account this year. I'm sure the Spending Affordability Committee will also take that in consideration. Um, Michael, what happens to these recommendations after CDAC finishes its meetings? Where do they go? I mean, Brianna sort of laid out, you know, what the governor has to do, but but who else is looking at these and and why are are these recommendations going to be important for what other folks have to say about their recommendations for the for the upcoming budget? Yeah, just just one more thing I want to toss in be, before we get into process after CDAC, which I think is where we want to go next. But yeah, this idea of construction inflation, uh, the idea that building that building today is going to cost you more than it did two, three, four years ago, and that that needs to register as well. You know, Brianna walked through the, the number of things that the committee looks at, and, and some of it is capital facility needs, you know, what's out there that's ready to go in school construction and, and what are the needs on our campuses and in, in state, you know, state agencies and, and buildings and courthouses and all those other sorts of things, right? All that stuff is important, but um, sure those buildings are costing more, but also let's not forget that we're in a weird spot where in, inflation has affected the rate of return requirements for investors, so the the amount of interest that we are likely to pay on bonds we float next year will be substantially more than the amount of interest we paid on bonds from a year or two ago. So that's going to be another, like, I'll, I'll see you and raise you on building cost inflation. Let's not forget that actually just the carrying cost of borrowing is going to be higher. Maryland used to be able to borrow money at two or two and a half percent interest. Maybe today that number is four. And that's meaningful if you start talking about let's do a bunch of 15 year bonds to support today's project. So yeah. anyway, side note, but I think it's like it's a compounding factor in the same direction that 
affording stuff is more challenging right now, independent of how strong your economy is. Mm -hmm. I I agree. Money costs more, right? So that is another uh, takeaway here. And I think something else that is going to be considerable in, in, in what they need to to do and look at when they make their recommendations. So, so Michael, I mentioned the spending affordability committee and, and generally, I mean, we won't get into to everything that they do, but generally the idea uh, is to limit the, the state's growth, right. Um, to the state's economy. So you want to limit the growth of state spending to the growth of the state's economy. And we mentioned earlier that is sort of in flux right now, right? We don't really know what the economy is. Yeah. Certainly we'll see corrections. <laughs> And that's going to be difficult. That's going to be challenging. But the Spending Affordability Committee is going to look at what CDAC is doing, Michael. So the process from here, once CDAC issues its final report, again, probably around October 20th or so, who is looking at that? We know, Brianna, as Brianna said, the governor has to take that into consideration, but other folks are looking at it as well. We're looking at it as sort of the first indication of what the budget looks like. But Michael, who else is looking at this? Are there any other besides spending affordability um, bodies that are going to take this stuff into account and consider it, uh, take put a lot of weight into what CDAC is saying? Yeah, I, I think I think you've you've set this up correctly. It's it, to some degree this is a bit of a two ring circus that capital debt affordability is charged with looking at what should be the ground rules for our borrowing plan for the year ahead. So all these metrics on what should our, you know, the, the limitation on how big debt service should be as a part of our revenues, how much total tax supported debt should be sitting out there that we have an obligation for relative to the wealth that we have to settle it if we had to. So step one, CDAC looks at capital stuff. Those same arguments about like the oversight structure and having a body that meets in the fall that sets ground rules that help to guide and inform the process that's going to happen come January when the General Assembly comes to town. They're going to look at the operating budget and all the the general spending side. That's what the Spending Affordability Committee is going to be doing later this fall. So to some degree, the Capital Debt Affordability Committee makes its general recommendations. And this is kind of inside, right? You're talking about this is the treasurer, the controller, um, the fiscal leaders within the state administration and so forth who are hands on with the numbers make those sort of judgments. The spending affordability committee is the analog on the, on the sort of operating budget side, the just year to year, one year spending plan. And Spending affordability will receive these recommendations on capital debt and potentially make their own recommendations in those fields. And in some cases, they have disagreed with the capital debt affordability and have suggested that there may be more capacity or a different degree of, of spending that's appropriate for the year ahead. So a plot sort twist of two- in the sausage making? I can't I can't imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, so most people, like f- folks who are long timers, it used to be that we thought of spending affordability as a, a committee that spent lots and lots of time, but ultimately their big report was all about one number. And spending affordability used to have a report where you just had to flip to like page two. Here's the executive summary. And they said, we think general, you know, sort of like a general fund spending or ongoing spending should increase by no more than 3.8% this year. Oh, got it. Spending affordability said 3.8. And everybody around town kind of knew that that's the tenor of the budget we have ahead. 
the spending limits 3.8 and all things that are of an ongoing nature we're all going to be playing by that kind of those kind of ground rules um spending affordability has kind of branched out over the last decade or decade and a half and now their recommendations are a little more sprawling and widespread but again for stakeholders like us the spending affordability committee and its reports and its suggestions are really helpful because they give you insight as to what kind of year lies ahead from a legislative perspective on the operating budget so next week is cdac step one and we're into the season where it's sort of like we're we're adjusting our binoculars and bringing things into focus that are not here yet, but we're trying to see the whites of their eyes from afar. I think that's kind of where we are on next year's fiscal picture. October is when things start to come into a little focus. Now, I will throw two more curveballs into this conversation, and I want to get both of your takes. The first being that, look, it, you, you can't deny Maryland is sitting on a substantial uh, amount of cash. And that can play into this as well. So the state could say, you know what, we don't need to float as many bonds because we can use a lot of this money and just, you know, use PAYGO to, to fund some of these projects. Um, we don't need to make long-term investments in float bonds. We can just use cash that we have that's sitting around. And, and so maybe we don't need to do as much in terms of, of, of issuing debt. We know that money costs more. We've talked about that. We've talked about inflation playing a role in inflection in, in construction and supply chain issues. And then, you know, one other issue here that I think needs to be considered is the the, the huge amount of money that's going to come down from the federal government um, for infrastructure, right? We know about the bipartisan infrastructure bill that's going to bring billions of dollars to Maryland. So that's also another tricky part of this is how do you unravel that and how do you sort of match that up? to some of the, the projects that they're going to be looking at. And maybe you, you traditionally would need to issue debt to, to finance. Now you're going to have not only a lot of cash on hand, but also more of that cash coming down from the federal government uh, for things like the stuff that they're talking about, right? Infrastructure projects that the state would normally be financing. So what are your takes there, Brianna and Michael, in terms of those two components, a lot of cash on hand and then a lot of federal money coming down the pipe. That, that, that's got to play a big role in this as well. Yeah, really good points, Kevin. I think fiscal leaders are really going to have to strike um, a nice balance here, right? It's going to be difficult and very tempting to not um, spend down all of those extra funds without having a real plan on how we can sustain um, capital projects resulting from them in particular. You know, there's there's a lot going on in terms of being able to fund one-time projects, um, but of course, maintenance and operations are really long-term commitments. And so our leaders are really going to, have to, going to have to take a balanced look at what we're able to do with this influx, especially of federal funds, um, but also knowing that at the end of the day, eventually it is it is going to be on us, on the state to uh, maintain whatever we do with that money, whatever we do with those um, infrastructure investments. Um, so a, a balanced look is definitely needed. Um, but at the same time, I'm sure that we can expect some some more excitement and enthusiastic projects coming out of out of this influx. That's my take so far. Yeah, I I think those are that that's really well said. Um, none of these decisions happen in complete isolation. Even you know, Kevin, you use the inside baseball term "pay go," the pay as you go model of hey, you can build that building by just cutting a check for you know seventy one million dollars rather than floating a bunch of bonds and going through a lot of trouble. If you got seventy one million bucks lying around, you can just have that building 
you know, up in 18 months rather than go through a lengthy process to borrow the money and so forth. So that's another way to accomplish some of these goals. I just add one thing on the presence of federal funds that are going to come over some stretch of time. Uh, we don't yet know what the rules are going to look like with, with these federal funds. Um, the feds typically are interested in when they make an investment like this and they send it back locally, they're interested in seeing it supplement and not supplant what you were planning to do. So it may turn out that there will be some strings attached that the feds may say, well, yeah, this is for infrastructure programs, but we don't want it to be just the routine maintenance of your water and wastewater facilities. We want this to be the expansion and the improvement and the things that you just hadn't been able to do with routine revenues. This is our chance to rebuild infrastructure and move forward. So you know, do projects of that nature. Don't just, you know, give everybody back a bag of money because you no longer have to pay for something you were planning to do. Now you've got Biden bucks to do it. I think the framework is probably going to be more like what are the aspirational, you know, things that you can do through your local infrastructure with broadband and with conduits and with, you know, old school roads and bridges and with with rail and like all the different sorts of, you know, modes and, and forms of of infrastructure that are supported by the federal legislation, I think we'll see like be ambitious as opposed to let's just move papers around. So you're saying, Michael, the feds are going to want to see us cutting ribbons here in Maryland. Is that, that that's what you're saying, essentially? Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm afraid to use that old phrase shovel ready because that was a, that was a thing some years ago. A wave of federal funds showed up under the well, I think at the time it was the TARP program. And uh, the idea was, well, what's your most shovel-ready project? You know, move that one to the queue and let's let's get out there and get some people on the side of the road digging holes and 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 get get a lot of people to work doing that. I don't think it's quite that circumstance, but I but I do think that's that's kind of it. Yeah, it's like take that take that ambitious plan that you just didn't have the money to do, and now the federal government has said it's time for America to get a lot of those pro- projects onto the front burner. And that's, that was the whole idea of the big, you know, bipartisan infrastructure law is get that kind of stuff moving. Yes. And we should say again, like we talk about this bipartisan infrastructure law, it is a huge, huge investment. It's a huge win for this country, for county governments who, you know, have been for years talking about infrastructure and crumbling infrastructure. So really, really pleased to see that come into fruition. The governor does have an infrastructure subcabinet that is working through. I mean, there are massive amounts of, of different programs and when opportunities open up. There are a lot of things to work out here, but I know we have smart people, capable people working on that to to get all of our ducks in a row so that we're ready. Um, Michael, I'm going to leave it to you to give us the bottom line takeaways from this episode. What are the things that people need to to know? Uh, If you've listened to this episode, the biggest takeaways for people in terms of CDAC, spending affordability, and the state's fiscal picture generally as we move ahead. Um, All right. So we try and nutshell all this. First of all, uh, we we didn't say it as much, but today's conversation is kind of a continuation of the one we had a couple of weeks ago, talking about where Maryland was with revenues and the economy that underlies them. Today, it, it unofficially is a continuation of that conversation. And what we're saying is we're going to get a clearer idea ahead because of some of these state structures. So if you're trying to follow along at home, you want to pay attention to the Capital Debt Affordability Committee. It's mostly insiders and office holders. 
And so this is sort of a, not exactly the administration, but it's the stakeholders in financing. We're looking there for clues to what the proposed budget may look like. How austere is the thinking of the state budget secretary, of the comptroller, and and folks of that uh, uh, you know who are who are part of capital debt affordability. So that's sort of like your preview for January, the proposed budget. Later, we're going to get. The Spending Affordability Committee, that's mostly a legislative body. There's a few extra members who are part of it, but it's largely, you know, most of the votes are legislators. And there is when we will get a lot of reports, a lot of analysis, but also some body language of what's coming in the legislative considerations of the budget. That's sort of your preview for March and April. And the whole process and all of these reports, I think they will be giving us clues on what the state fiscal staff and leaders are thinking now. And all of that is helpful. If you're like us and you're just trying to read the tea leaves to have a flavor of what's it going to be like this coming year. So many new faces, such a weird economy. This is full of questions. We never have this many questions in early October as to what the coming year is going to look like. And I've been doing this forever. This is the weirdest year we've had. And I think this is the third straight year I've said those exact words. I I was just going to say, this has to be the third year in a row that you've said that. So weird times for sure. Brianna, any final takeaways for you? Yeah, you know, we don't have time to get into this today, but as as we're chatting, I've been thinking, um, and we've laid out helpful context. And as Michael just said, a lot of tea leaf reading here. But I do wonder where the push for for greener buildings and electrification and all of that good stuff fits into all of this capital budgeting talk um, and perhaps a future conversation for our listeners to look forward to. But more to come here for sure. Um, lots of lots of things to take into consideration. I dig it. And another good point. And we're going to have to have you back on to talk about that and how all of that plays into to the fiscal picture and how you forecast for that moving forward. But I guess we'll Spoke go ahead too soon, it. didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, now I want to talk about it, but I know we, we have to leave it there for today. Um, as always, if you do enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all of these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter. And then, of course, you should read the Conduit Street blog. Tons of stuff on there. And I know Brianna's going to have a piece about CDAC, sort of a 101, uh, that will be available when this episode comes out. So we'll link that as well. But for Brianna January and Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale, and we will talk to you soon.